Hello everyone, welcome back, or welcome to Passing Dimes. If this is your first episode, I say this every single time, but you picked a good one. We got a good guest. We got a great guest here. Um, good, solid dude. Good, solid volleyball player. Beach guy, indoor guy. Good to have a couple stories. Um, has been in the volleyball world for a long time. His dad's been in the volleyball world for a long time. Um, just signed a pro contract, but you know we'll get into that in a bit. Just won his first cliver. We'll get into that too. Not a big deal. Uh, Three-time OUA All-Star. We'll decide. We'll figure out why a BC guy wanted to come to Ontario to play volleyball. We'll figure out why a BC guy wanted to come to York. <laughs> so many questions to ask this guy. Uh, just signed his, like I said, just signed his first pro contract in uh, in the Israel Pro League. Uh, welcome to the show, Logan Mann. Hey, guy. Mender. Thanks, thanks for having me, boys. Great to be on here. Yeah, I heard... Uh... Been uh, chatting to lots of friends of the show, so it's, uh, it's nice to finally get on here. Yeah, you know what? To our credit, we've talked that enemy of the show list pretty secret, so you could be talking to a few enemies of the show and don't even know it you yet. Wouldn't even know it. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep that top secret. Yeah, but, as we know. should. Um, you know, it wouldn't be Dal fashion without screwing up an intro. We actually also forgot your, you got a pretty illustrious beach career, um, junior national team member. Um, we'll talk about your, your stint, um, playing for Team Ontario with your hometown being Pembroke, British Columbia. Isn't Pembroke in Ontario? It's north, isn't it? It's not north? Yeah, it's west. <laughs> it's way it's west. west. It's real west. Yeah, yeah. Penticton is just this unheard of oh, It's Penticton. I, I, I good. No. No. <laughs> yeah. All good, yeah. No, I, not many people have been there in Ontario. It's kind of weird, but... Uh, got her done. Me and Josh Arino and and P. Sora. So oh, so that's a, that's so another. I forgot that plot. Man, my stack guy is really missing the mark today. <laughs> I forgot. Podcast host Josh Nickel was the coach of that Team Ontario team. If you were here for the Thomas Sora episode, you'd know that. <laughs> <laughs> you got to stop being so busy, though. Yeah, no, right? Let, let's let's get into it. So yeah. hit us with this <laughs> hot news. Uh, Walk us through the process. How did you identify your club? How did they identify you? Like, how did you go about getting the the big boy pro contract your first year at a university here? So, I was I was scrolling through my Facebook friend request, and uh, it was funny because I think they were pretty close together. But um, I was Kevin Duquette and Kiara Cascanetti, um, and I just went through and was like adding people and uh, tried success and. I think she sent me a message, or I sent her a message because I I saw that she was like a volleyball person. I was like, so I was trying to figure out who it was, and figured out that she was an agent. And then Duquette was also an agent, and so I was chatting with both of them, and just was kind of feeling things out. And Duquette was like, reached back out to me in January, and I was like, okay. And then I was kind of I was out at Trinity Western uh, with the York Lions team. Uh, doing our kind of preseason stint, which is really nice of uh, Nate Grenville to do a BC trip in my fifth year. It was really cool to be able to play in front of uh, some friends and family, uh, some West Coast people, and get dummies by Trinity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they got the seventh so, man on the court, man. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, lots of, lots of national team guys on the team. Anyway, uh was talking to Benjo, and I heard that Kiara represents a lot of Trinity guys in their first year. Um, like Nick Del Bianco, and like I think she represented Slater for a bit, um, and guys like that. And I asked Benjo about her, and he had good things to say. So I was like, all right, let's do this. And so she was proposing me to a whole bunch of teams, and wasn't having really any bites. So it was kind of frustrating. And I was like, what's going on? Like, thought I was good. Um, but. <laughs> I'm sick. What are you doing your job? Like, come on. <laughs> What's going on? And uh, anyway, I had this bite from this Austrian team um, and uh, Amstetten, uh, where Brett Cameron Branch played. Uh, and that was basically the only bite that I'd had. I was like, well, I'm guessing going to Austria. Um, and so was kind of chatted with that coach a bit. Um, but then there was like a couple other people, like there was like some Israel teams. But they like they were interested, but then they weren't. And I, my dad was like, Mender was like, tell him that or tell her that you have some Jewish heritage. I was like, okay, 
because like my dad's side of the family is Jewish if you go up. And Kara's like, why didn't you tell me? So anyway, uh, Apple Kafar Saba, where I'm going, just north of Tel Aviv, uh, once they found that out, they were like, okay, let's do this, but you have to get your Israeli citizenship, which I'm getting. So that's pretty exciting. Um, because there has, it's like, a, it's like Italy where there has to be three Israelis on the court at any given time and then three foreigners. So me and this U.S. guy, Tony Kaufman, um, are both getting our Israeli citizenship. So basically there will be five of, of us kind of foreigners, but two of us are actually also Israeli. So that's kind of how I got uh, this contract. Um, like the money was better, the team was better. It just made more sense um, than Austria. Like Austria, I'm sure would have been an amazing country and an amazing experience, but um, couldn't swing that Austrian sense. citizenship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, the family roots didn't uh, yeah. didn't go in that direction. But I'm uh, I've Nassbaum has told me some amazing things about Israel, and uh, I was talking to the Grozingers, and they like. Um, yeah, they said it's a, an amazing country, so pretty pretty excited. Yeah, we're pretty excited for you, but uh, Nussbaum gets a little too many plugs on this podcast, so we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds like a plan. Yeah, um, but we're going to go back even further. Um, we missed each other, I think, by a year or two um, with the York University team. Uh, I was already, I think I had already left the school the team, I was still in school, but you were, uh, you were a recruit by the time that I was there. And so a lot of the, the guys that I played with, you played with as well. And I think that's sort of where we became friends because there was a lot of commonality. But for the most part, all of the York imports have been, sort of, or all York recruits have been from Ontario and like literally from the GTA, you know, being from Penticton, why York? late bloomer I was just a, a young graduator <laughs> um, I graduated when I was like fresh 17 like I turned 17 May 10th and then I graduated in June so like because we did a Europe trip when I was younger and I was homeschooled for a bit um, like I was learning at my own pace and was learning a little faster than the traditional curriculum so I came back I did like, two months of of grade two and then I was I did some testing and bumped up to grade three so I like I graduated high school a little early and then I always played up in age groups and that was always fine and I don't Penn High wasn't the strongest in in my grade 12 year we really peaked in grade 10 we went 32 and one on the season only losing the Langley fundamental, Langley fundamental in the final. That was the only game we lost in the season. Then we kind of went downhill from there. So. I like to think I peaked in grade 10, too. Yeah. yeah good <laughs> times, man. Being like 6'1", like no facial hair is amazing. So uh, didn't have a lot of coverage, being especially not being on the coast. If you're not in Vancouver, it's tough to get that um, recognition. So I didn't really have options. I basically had Camos in college on the coast and I had an offer from there but colleges can only offer so much as scholarships and then pretty sure it was Chuck, Mike Chumley called my dad up to ask about a buddy of mine Connor Barr who doesn't play anymore but uh, was a left side for Delta secondary uh, on the coast and they chatted for an hour and, and then my dad was he asked he's like do you guys have any setters for next year recruits and Chumley was like no so my dad was like, oh, my son's a setter. Check out some video. So I sent some video, and Chumley messaged back the next day, and he said, didn't watch it once, didn't watch it twice, watched it four times, super interested, here's our offer. And it surpassed the commotion offer, and I flew out there and got the tour of York and uh, stayed at Wally Diva's house for the first night. And then stayed at... Four six, I think, Sentinel Road. I was slept on the floor of uh, Marco Dakic and Ray Zito's uh, little hallway in between their two rooms. <laughs> you know, you know who is an original member of that six four six house. Yeah, 
Okay. <laughs> so, uh, and it was like, it was 2 a.m. And I think they had a game the next day against Mac. And I was like, what are you getting? Like, are we going to bed? <laughs> I was just like on my phone. And I was like seven. I was 17 and I had like no clue. Um, and so, yeah, I went to bed late. I basically was awake for 33 hours uh, when I flew into Toronto. I, I did not have a lot of sleep that weekend. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, was on that trip out and uh, went to Mac. Pretty sure Mac won, knowing Mac. And, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> had a, knowing how much they partied, yeah, I would imagine. It was a pretty slap-slap, how-do-you-do, Saturday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, basically made made the call and uh, uh, committed while I was on that trip and showed up the next year and was there for the next five. So, yeah, yeah, but, and you got uh, to see you got to see the full spectrum because I was there for um, the Wally Darby years and nobody was really sure. It's like the um, the Cuban birth certificates. Nobody really knows how old the Cubans are. Nobody really knows how long Wally has been coaching. <laughs> Um, but I was there for, for Wally and, uh, you, like you said before, were, were there for the transition years. So why don't you talk about that? And we'll preface this by saying Wally Daiba, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, Wally Daiba, great guy, great coach, a little, um, old school in his methodology, but, uh, he must've coached York university for, I think close to 45 years. Yeah, I, I think it was. 42, but he started the program. He was the reason that York has a volleyball program, uh, which is pretty amazing. Um, first off, Wally Diva, amazing guy, was basically like a second father to me while I was at York um, for the time that he was there with me. I stayed at his house uh, with him and Denise before I moved into residence. Uh, when I was kicked out of residence, at not for anything bad. But at the end of the year, when I had to move out before my flight, I basically was at Wally Diva's house for 10 days and used up all his Wi-Fi data. So that, that was fun. Um, <laughs> oh, he doesn't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, and uh, being, being out in Newmarket, not a whole lot to do. Anyway, went uh, and had a lot of transitions. I think I, I think there were four or five head coaches in my five years because Wally was my head coach. Chumley was my head coach uh, while Wally was dealing with his, uh, with his lip. Um, and then there was, then Wally came back and there was some, let's say disagreement with him and some other administration members because, and I'd say it was, uh, it was a pride thing, and it was also sticking up for volleyball because I do think that men's volleyball does get a little marginalized in, in terms of sports and uh, maybe not as res not respected as much as men's football or soccer or basketball um, and doesn't get the funding that some of those sports get. And so I don't totally disagree with why there was some anger, but uh, I think the way that it was the way that it happened was not pretty. So come to the next head coach, uh, Mike Wabi, um, super nice guy, uh, really all about the brotherhood. And we went from basically us being told, you're not going to have any all-stars. You're not going to have, we're not going to win quarters or go to nationals. But like, we're going to, like that was our pre-phase beginning of the year. And then Wabi comes in. And basically his philosophy was we're brotherhood, love each other, no one's above anyone else, and we really grinded on defense. We went 15-3 and three that year. Um, I believe that was my first uh, first team OUA uh, all-star. And then uh, Alex Duncan Tebow also got one. And then I think Shoddy got a second. Somebody else got a second team all-star. Like we had three. Uh, and but then unfortunately we lost to uh, no uh, anyway somebody else got one and we ended up losing to the Waterloo Warriors in the quarterfinal so it was like oh my god we had this amazing season and then just pulled it up 
Yeah, and Wabi then, was an assistant coach when I was there. I can't speak uh, highly enough of him. He was a he was a good dude, and it was it was nice to see a little bit more pride in that program uh, after the sort of the Wally and Chumley years. Yeah, yeah, no, that was it was a, it was a good change. And then the second year, I think there were some technical uh, aspects of the game that weren't being addressed, and. We had a pretty solid season, and uh, like was going pretty well, and then lost in quarters again, and it was just it was frustrating. It was for after making nationals in my first year with a really talented team, and I actually got to go in and start in the fifth place match because Nick Sandage went down with a foot injury, and as a 17 year old, got to start a fifth place CIS national team, which is amazing. Um, going from that to never making nationals again in my career was it was it was frustrating. Um, not to say that it wasn't an amazing experience. It's just when you see all your other buddies at other schools making nationals and knowing how fun it is at nationals and being able to compete at that level, it definitely was, was hard. And then um, the so the co- so Wabi was in his interim head coach, and then he got a one-year contract, and then the position was opened up to, uh, nationwide so anyone who's anyone could have uh, applied for this job and there was an extensive interview process um, and we were kind of like left of, we were it was like late summer and there was I think Queens also had their position up for grabs and I want to say Ryerson as well like, who was our coach going to be we had no idea and it was it was I, I would like call Andrew would call to me very invested in this. Uh, he also just texted me to say, how do you do, Androsh? Hey. Um, anyway, we're, we're waiting, and uh, we finally find out it's Nathan Grenville. And it was funny because I was, <laughs> I think it had been pretty, like it was, we found out, and then I was at Van Open, and uh, me and Dan Grenville were uh, getting pretty after it. Um, and, in the uh, weight we room. At, sorry? In the weight room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 it, it, we, yeah, we were lifting, but we were lifting beers to our mouths. So we uh, we were at the kitchen table, and uh, I, I sent a nice little selfie of us with pictures, and it was, uh, it was a good time. But anyway, uh, had a had an amazing experience getting to know Nate, and um, like as a fifth-year setter, been around the block, you know how the year goes, and really just talking video and strategy and just issues with him was, was fun. And, um, I wish I could have had more time with him as a head coach. Uh, I think I really learned a lot from him, and it was a uh, it was a fun year. It was it would have been nice to make nationals uh, in, in my last year and kind of tie it off with that, but it doesn't always uh, go the way you want it to. So. You mentioned there's a lot of stuff that was out of your control. How did you feel like you kept developing? Because anyone who's seen you play live, or they should maybe do a quick YouTube uh, search, you, you really like to sling it. You like to set against the flow. You like to be creative. So how did you kind of internalize that and make sure that you were still getting better and taking care of what you could, even though, like you said, you played for a new coach what felt like every season? Yeah. Uh, I'd uh, give a shout-out to MMT Volley videos, which I don't think is a channel anymore, but it, I think it was the scout for Rizovia. Um And shout-out to Tim Jensen, who kind of put me on to watching pro volleyball. I, I didn't really watch a lot of volleyball in my first year or second year. Um, Those Eastern European guys are fanboys. Holy cow. The, all these guys. I'll give Tim Jensen's got a front this low, but he's uh, comes from a long line of Eastern European fanboys. These guys can't get enough. <laughs> they know all the names. They know all the guys, and I'm like, Pfft. if we were to call yeah. Stefan Ristic right now, he could tell us who like the best setters in your league were, probably, oh. and who the who the big banging right side's yeah. gonna be. Yeah, <laughs> these guys know stat lines. Yeah, no, he. Uh... That guy watches his films, that's for sure. He uh, he would come to video sessions with like a notebook just full of notes on every single guy and like five page reports. It was impressive. I don't, I don't know in the right way, but it was impressive. And uh, so yeah, he was the reason that I started watching 
pro volleyball and this MMG volley videos had all these clips, uh, Rosovia games and Bene Kazan games. And so I basically tried to mold my game off of these pro setters. That was, that was my way of like working on things is I would just watch what they do, see how they read the game and try and emulate that. And I found the game would slow down a bit for me because I would know what was going to happen. Uh, but I'd say, yeah, a lot of watching video and just maybe being a little unconventional when I play. Um, I definitely favored uh, Maroof. <laughs> I liked that he just didn't care when he played. He was just kind of do fancy things and make it work. And um, So you started wearing gold I, chains and have weird hairdos and play with <laughs> high top shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, we don't need to discuss my second year haircut. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we are. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, as, as being a, a guy who I, I think people don't usually would be like, oh, you're not a setter. Like, I think I would try and use my uh, physicality to to do sets that maybe not, uh, other setters wouldn't try. Um, like being 20 feet off the court and setting a left side ball or something. But, uh, yeah, I was trying to be creative and mess with the other team. And yeah, work, working on my craft. Yeah. Nice. So I've held out long enough talking about this indoor stuff. Let's get to some beach things. Uh, big Cliver win for the guy. Big Cliver win. Man, after four years since my first one, Brian Ebert, I was friend of the show, Maverick uh, we had played, um, so, okay, let me, let me jump back a year to Kitfest, King of the Beach, my favorite event, um, probably that goes on in the summer, which unfortunately I couldn't attend this year. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, but me and Maverick Hatch are not fit, like fans of the five-man pools in King of the Beach, and, uh, because it does not favor the one seed. And... I was out after the first day, uh, after I was in three Kids Fest finals in a row from 18 to, uh, yeah, 18 to 20, I guess. And then last year got knocked out and was staying sober on the, on the, on the Sunday because I, I had a feeling that somebody in the final would want to pick me and play. So John Galloway and, uh, Krauss were in the finals together. They I, like after the points kind of worked out. Galloway picked me. Kraus picked up Mav, and we played. And me and Galloway beat them in two. And then Mav and I were talking. And he was like, "We should we should play one next year." I was like, "Sounds like a plan." So this year, I think this was the third Cliver, the fourth Cliver. Um, me and Mav, uh, we were in the final. This was my first ever final. I was like, "Oh my god, it's gonna happen." And then, for anyone who's listening that doesn't know what a cliver is, is it is a volleyball marathon. You start at 8.45 in the morning, you go through pool play, uh, just once at 25, if it was anything more, I think people would die on the sand. So, <laughs> you do pool play, and then you you play a marathon. If, if, if you're not a one seed, you might have to play a pre-quarter or even a pre-pre-quarter, um, and you basically play best of threes until you're knocked out, and then you have uh, the rest of the day to just watch court one and enjoy that. So it's a very long day, and cramps do happen. So after about the first set, I was dealing with the quad, quad cramps, trying not to uh, recognize it, just ignore it, go on. And, but uh, Galloway, John Galloway and Pablo Vidal are two of the more ball control heavy players at Kids Beach. And uh, me and Mav uh, kind of, we, we ran out of juice a bit there. And, and uh, Galloway and Pablo knocked us off in two. And that was it. I uh, didn't get my didn't get my elusive victory. And so cut to the Cliver Finals that I wasn't planning on attending. I So I live, for people who are listening, I live in Penticton, D.C. Vancouver is four and a half hours away on the coast. So, I had already driven down to the coast 11 times since May 11th. So, I've put in about...
player listing. He's like, looking for a blocker. I was like, oh no, here we go again. So I'm like, man, let's do it. <laughs> so I drove down. <laughs> so I drove down again, and uh, neither of us had played it since Van Open. So I think it has been about two weeks since either of us had played any volleyball. And so I was a little rusty and, and played close. So we were down like nine one to these young bucks. I say younger, like a year younger than me. Anyway, <laughs> we're down nine one, and we come back and win twenty five twenty three. It's just like not good volleyball early in the day. And uh, I had to use my puffer. Like I was dying. And then it just improved later in the day. And we end up in the finals again. And uh, so we match up against Johnny Wistar and Jared Kraut. And Johnny Wistar is a KDV legend. He is the winningest KDVA player of all time at Flyers. He's won 22 in his. Uh, call it his 10th year there, and uh, Jared Krause has also won a few, and so we uh, we took him down in two. It was, we were definitely not the crowd favorites. Uh, me and Mad were not super, we don't talk a lot when we play, where we keep it pretty pretty uh, pretty low-key, And but we, we managed to take him down. We came back in the second, we were down a bit. Yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing to finally get that victory. It's if you're if you're not playing with a one seed or if you don't have that one seed, it is not uh, not an easy thing to do. So after I was I think I played fourteen fivers, so fourteen fivers and four years later, I uh, finally got the victory. Yeah. So let's dive a little bit uh, deeper into this, just so our listeners understand why this is so meaningful. So you took Thomas Sora and I to our first cliver, and actually we arrived a couple days earlier. So we're doing the challenge court before at Kits, where you kind of grew up. Uh, we show up at the Cliver, and we think we're early, but I, there must have been a dozen other guys there, and everybody's putting lines down and helping set up the nets, and then everybody kind of checks in. Can you just talk about kind of the the way it has this sense of community, but it's still like a super high level? Like you talked about you're playing with Maverick Hatch. I think the tournament you and Thomas were at, played against Alex Russell and Nick Del Bianco. Uh, Whiskar was there, Gandhi. Like there's top, top players there. And really, it's just, it's a Saturday on the beach, and guys show up, and they sign up, and it's just kind of like a cool vibe. So can you go into it as a true local, just to explain what a Cliver is to our listeners? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, Jim Clive, uh, if you don't know who Jim Clive is, he is the, the godfather of beach, as the McKibben brothers have aptly put it. So I would definitely check out that video if you can, to really get an understanding of, of who Jim Clive is and what he's done for the sport. Uh, so Clivers are tournaments that happen uh, just kind of every other weekend in the summer, give or take. I think there's about seven for summer. Um, and so on the Facebook page, the, somebody, usually Sandy, will put up, all right, uh, Clivers got the laptop open, put the names down so everybody comments who they're playing with and they get plugged into the computer. But if it's, uh, if it's not a cap tournament, there's only a couple of those a year. Uh, you can just show up on Saturday morning with 25 bucks for your membership, 25 bucks for yourself, and 25 bucks for your partner. So your membership will last you the year. So every fiber that you show up to after that is just 25 each. And uh, all the money is that goes in comes out. So it's by the players, for the players. So it's all volunteer. It's a non nonprofit. Um, and I think the most we've had is probably 50 54 teams or something like that. So we'll have 45 to 50 teams there on any given Saturday putting money in and coming in at 7 a.m. to help set up lines and set up nets. And most of those guys stick around till 7 at night watching the watching the rest of the games even after they're knocked out of the tournament. Um, there, yeah, there's really no um, elitism. Like People will play with anyone on Challenge Court during the week. Like Johnny Wiskar will uh, pair up with some random guy that put his name on the on the challenge court list. But no, the egos aren't really present. Um, it's basically you're going down to the beach to hang out with some friends and play some volleyball, enjoy the beach, enjoy the sun. And then on Saturday, everyone does it again. They they come down to enjoy volleyball. There's three different tiers of playoffs, so. Even the guys that aren't at that top, top tier can still go bottom side and still get their money back. Or if in, 
in single A and then in double A they could still win like 170 bucks or something like that depending on the tournament. So it's really just if you like beach volleyball, it's it's kind of a dream. I, I don't think there's anything like it anywhere in the world. It's really one of a kind. Having that concentration of volleyball talent and uh, just the way that it's the way that it's utilized. I wish uh, I wish there was a national team center for beach volleyball on the West Coast because I think there were some guys that probably could have gone somewhere with it that maybe didn't because they didn't want to move to Toronto. So. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree with that. Like guys, like I was blown away by how good Dan Caverly is. Once I got to watch him play live, uh, Big Russ yep. just moves so well for a six ten guy. Hopefully, we can scoop him up. But Nick Del Bianco, like all these guys that were at this tournament, I'm just thinking like I've never seen you play, but you're awesome. There's just so many good guys. The other part of the culture that I really enjoyed was uh, whoever finished third. They couldn't come to the after party, so they actually gave cash to somebody else to say, here, you have to buy my round, because it's one of those unwritten rules where if you win prize money, you're going to take care of the boys that night. Yep. Yeah, so uh, especially so for the for the victors. Um, me, me and Mav definitely spent our fair share of that. Mav actually couldn't make it out. He had to go with Jamie to a concert. Um, he was like... I'm going to be in the doghouse because, like, our final went so – it was probably the latest final I've ever played. I think it was, like, 8.30 by the time oh, we were done. Like, we were playing sunset ball. It was amazing. Uh, but he shot me a text. He was like, uh, like take a take a 100 of mine and spend it on pitches for the boys. So I was like, all right. And, uh, yeah, I had a pretty hefty bill by the end of the night. But it was – oh, man, it was so much fun. Just, like, dropping pitchers off at tables and um, really just – yeah, living it up. And then I second pulled <laughs> Paul Tudor and Jared Strauss coming over with trays of rum and coke. That we uh Fiverr Finals definitely gets the spirit raised, uh, more so than other ones, I think, just because it's like the last official one of the year and <laughs> it's, it's a fun time. Yeah, uh, I speaking to Alex Russell, hopefully we'll get him on the show, but when he was here at Beach Nationals, that was probably his biggest regret of coming to Beach Nationals was that he was missing the Cliver. Like, this was a big deal, and he's like, you know, I got to play in Beach Nationals if I want to be identified and all this stuff, and he's like, man, it couldn't have been any other weekend. I'm, I'm missing my chance to be player of the year, and he thought he was in the, in the running for the points, and... He was. He was. <laughs> it was, it was uh, John Galloway, Alex Russell, and Pablo were all within 10 points of each other, but I was the fourth. 900 Galloway was first with 960 and I came within 10 points of being player of the year <laughs> Galloway John he, he lost in the quarter like our pre-quarter like unheard of um, and he lost and so I was like oh my god it's perfect but I, I did the math and he would have had to go on the bottom side so Could, couldn't pull it off but because Pablo and Russell were missing it was like I, I was the only one that was within like striking distance of Galloway but he, uh, he pulled player of the year off. So, yeah. Nice. So hopefully we've we've painted a nice picture of what the kids' beach scene is. That uh, We mentioned a lot of guys who never kind of turned to the high-performance route, but thankfully we got you for a couple of years. Uh, what was your experience like at U21 when you and Tom Sawyer decided to, to make a run on it? Oh, man. That was... Uh, it was hot. <laughs> <laughs> getting, off the, getting off the plane and it's 44 degrees with 100% humidity and feeling like 50. Uh, China in was, July was, is uh, not the best destination for for a tournament. Yeah, and we and we had been training in cold Toronto weather for a few months, uh, so it was really good prep to get our bodies used to that sauna. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was amazing um, playing at that level. Um, I'd never played internationally before, and it was really uh, an amazing experience to be able to represent Canada. Uh, Unfortunately, we did not make it out of our pool. Um, to be fair, we did have uh, Latvia, who got the bronze, and we had Mexico, who lost in quarters, and then we also had Spain, who was like the team that came through the qualifier, and they also lost in quarters. So basically, three teams that were in that top five <laughs> were also in our pool. So um, who knows what we could have done if we made it out of pool play, but uh, it was definitely experience. experienced. Uh, I know uh, it, was, it was pretty funny. On a, one of our training days, uh, Samoylov's younger brother comes up to me and like pinches my waist. He's like, "You look like you're 100 kilos." I was like, "Yeah, I am." <laughs> I was just like, "Thanks for point- <laughs> thanks for pointing out that I'm 220, man. Like, sorry, I'm not like 180, like Jesus." Oh uh, yeah. So I just <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. He just like never met the guy before. Just comes over to me and I'm like. 
good but, guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, good guess, good guess. Um, but the, the food over there was tough. Yeah, stomach wasn't wasn't the happiest over it. But um, I know you uh, you asked for good stories over here. So um, after the after we were knocked out, um, there was definitely some partying that went on. <laughs> And uh, so the Canadian guys kind of, I was actually feeling kind of sick, but I was in bed trying to rest it off. I had like shivers and sweats and just was not good. Like probably heat stroke or dehydrated, just being in that sun and, oh man, trying to go through as much water as possible, having electrolytes, whatever. $2 for a six pack of beer over there. And so everyone that kept losing kept joining us kind of every night and uh, I managed to get out of bed on that like the, the night that we started this and we go down to this conference room and the Canadian guys like it was Tom Sora, Andrew Toss and Austin Valley we had like kind of helped supply the crew as long as well as the I think the Norwegian guys or not Norwegian sorry um, Netherlands guys also helped and so we had this supply of <laughs> of uh, beverages and we go into this big conference room and there are these two security guards just kind of smoking cigars in there and it was just bizarre we were at this hotel and we were trying to cause we had noise complaints in the hotel room that we were in and we try and go and find a place so we end up finding this conference hall and they just leave so we walk in like this huge group of us <laughs> not quiet and they just walk out of the room and we're like huh so we just partied it up in this empty hotel conference room until like three in the morning because none of us were competing anymore. We'd all been knocked out of the tournament. And then the next night, uh, did the same thing again. And But this time the doors were locked and we were like, oh, that's kind of weird. And then the Netherlands boys went around the pool deck and one of the windows was open. So we hopped through it and let us in and we partied in that room again. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Obviously, we had a bigger crew that time because uh, more people had lost that day. And then the third night, this was after the final, after uh, Brazil won both. Duda and her partner won, and then um, I can't even remember the Brazilian guys, but they were like 6-1-6-2, and they just dummied Russia. They were down, and like Russia had game point, and then Brazil just picked on this one guy, and he broke, and then went away with it. But anyway, this was after the final. We had to train to the airport the next day. And the windows and the doors were locked this time, so we were out of luck on partying in the conference room. Uh, but we went out to the pool, which we were apparently not allowed to swim in. Uh, so we did it anyway. Uh, I don't know if it was bacteria or whatever, but uh, we, we, we went in and me and... Uh, I, man, it was, I think it was a collection of us, but... We started throwing girls in the pool. We would, uh, either they would jump in the pool or we would like go over and be like, hey, uh, do you mind if we like see your phone for a second? And then like a couple guys would just grab them and chuck them in the pool. And then eventually everyone was just in the pool having a good time and having, having some drinks by the pool and just chatting with like some international amazing volleyball players and, and then being a little hungover taking the very hot train to the to the airport the next day. It was uh it was an experience. It was a whirlwind of a week. Um yeah, I would definitely do it again. <laughs> so I have to ask the question, if that was your first experience with international beach volleyball, why are you going the indoor route now that you've graduated university? You should just be doing this beach thing full time. <laughs> I know, I know. Um it's the plan plan i eventually I, I think i want to do a couple of years at the indoor circuit see what i can do and uh if i got a couple knots for national team maybe i'll do that i don't know i uh the the money is <laughs> doing it a bit for the financial reasons uh you're it's definitely more lucrative to play indoor uh, at the moment definitely an investment to play national team beach and i definitely do want to do that but I do, do want to wait until I have a little more um, income coming in um, and be self-sponsored uh, with the company that I'm working with. Um, and I definitely want to help other athletes do the same thing because I, 
find that happens a lot with sports where it's not as lucrative as playing pro basketball or hockey. Or you're not making millions of dollars, right? So my, my goal is to kind of um, eliminate that for myself and others. Um, I think that would be amazing to be able to pursue your passion until you don't want to anymore. Rather than, oh man, like I, my bank account is hurting because I've been playing for X amount of years and I haven't been coming top 10 or something like that. So I definitely do want to pursue national team beach. It's definitely my passion and I do love playing beach volleyball. But I also love the indoor team. So I mean, I definitely want to go see what I can do indoor wise. And, and then I think I would love to take it to the beach. Yeah, we just had uh, your partner, actually, Tom Sora, join for the show. And it's neat seeing uh, just a small pocket of this generation that could choose to go both. Like, there's you, there's Thomas, Shawan, Tariq. Like, it, it seems like there's a bunch of guys popping up that they could really go whatever direction takes them. And I, I think that's definitely exciting for our sport. It's just, like you touched on, it's a little disappointing that beach, the finances get in the way. Where indoor, it's just, you get that guaranteed money, you get to live in a nice country, you get to experience some different things. So, yeah, I don't... I, I'm not negative towards you because you're choosing indoor. I'm just, I'm going to miss you on the beach. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I also would be very, if there was a, I think it's in the works. I don't know the, the probability of it, but if there's a West Coast sector of national team that opens up, I think you could definitely count on me being a part of that when it does. Nice. Nice. Well, let's, let's, go back to this indoor thing because I'm sure our listeners are, are dying to know more. What are you looking forward to to your, your first pro season? Do you have any expectations or do you have any idea of kind of what to expect? Or are you just going to show up and work hard and just do what you do? I think just show up and work hard, man. I They came second in their league last year. It's a good program. We've got a lot of good guys coming in this year. Um, and really, it's just like starting over. It's like going from high school where you're the top dog to university. And then if you if you end up going pro, you probably became the top dog of your program. And then you got to go start over again. So uh, basically, just going to try and go grind and try and become a top dog at that level. I, I, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to learning how to play at that pace. I know it's a whole lot different than playing university ball where – at the pro level, it's all faster, it's all stronger, it's all more technical. Um, like a lot more time gets put into scouting, a lot more time gets put into video sessions. It just becomes more professional, right? Professional. So really, just looking forward to to learning a lot and um, just bettering my game. I have a. It's always a part of my process of, of playing the sport is just to get better. You don't want to become stagnant. So I really look forward to, to playing in the Israeli league. And it's also a Challenge Cup team. So really looking forward to that. And, yeah, just seeing what I can do at the pro level. Because I think uh, for a lot of pro teams, uh, placing their best on a Canadian setter who played in the OUA, which isn't really as respected as much as the Can West is. It's just not known for producing triple-A Angus Beef caliber athletes. You know what I mean? It's not, we're like, way you beef. It's not, it's not known for that. And especially if you don't make nationals, you don't have that coverage and they don't, they don't respect it because they don't, they don't know what the OUA is. They just want to have a good setter. If you're coming out, they, like, how do, how do they know that you're going to be a really good setter first year playing pro, right? So I'm really looking forward to kind of proving my worth at that next level and, and seeing where I can take it. Nice. And are you hoping to use this to kind of bridge the gap uh, back to the national team? Because like you said, being an OUA guy who wasn't at nationals, maybe you were overlooked for Team Canada. But uh, again, in speaking to Thomas Sora, he's kind of the mighty might at 6'3". You being a 6'5 setter, that I think that kind of puts you in the conversation, right? I think so. And I've wanted to, and I've done junior national team trials, I've done B team trials, and I, I, I haven't had great experiences there. I just like... I don't think I've personally. I don't think they gave me a fair like the last a fair shot. The last tryout uh, that I went to, I didn't get to do any gameplay, and I was, I was like, "What is this?" After, and then I had a bunch of university coaches come over to me afterwards, like, "Oh man, like thought you had a great tryout." I was like, "Cool. <laughs> Why didn't I get to do any gameplay?" Like, so I really, I do hope that it opens a couple doors for me. Um, 
playing at that next level and showing that I can like get better <laughs> um, and just have a shot because I would love to play national team with her. I think that would be amazing. Um, like I've always, I've always wanted to go pro for volleyball ever since middle school. Like it's been a like if you go back and read my journals from back then, I was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, pro volleyball player. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, yeah, just like really looking forward to that. And I do, I, yeah, if, if I do get that opportunity, I would love to play for the national team. Nice. Nice. And just one more time for our listeners. Uh, what is the name of your, your new club? Just so we can follow you this season and everything you're up to. Apple Kapar Saba. So like H-A-P-O-E-L and then Kapar Saba. It's not easy. K-F-A-R-S-A-D-A. It's not... <laughs> Not not a super easy uh, club to spell, but uh, there you go. And what's your Instagram? That might be an easier place to follow you and then follow your team through that. Yeah, at Logan Men, no dots, no spaces, just at Logan Men. Yeah. Perfect. So hopefully <laughs> uh, we can support you on your journey through this. Uh, those were some great China stories. How Dallas and I usually like to end this is some stories from the roads. You got uh, you got any other adventures you want to share, either growing up on Kitts Beach or maybe some indoor stuff you'd like to share with us? Oh man, um, yeah, I'll, I'll throw in a couple and I'll see what sticks. So, when I was two, uh, Martin Reeder and I think it was Mark Howison, not Josh, I think it was Mark Howison and a couple other boys that are also very good that I'm blanking on right now. They were training in my, uh, so for those who don't know, I have a beach court in the backyard. My dad was a coach for 30 years. Uh, so Martin always likes to tell this story when I'm around. Um, they were training in the backyard, and I came out and pulled down my pants and started peeing off the balcony uh, <laughs> while they were training in the backyard. So there's that. And then when I was, I think it was kindergarten or either grade two, I was really young. Conrad Leinerman, who was from Kelowna initially, like an hour up the lake, he came in to our elementary school and was, he was doing like a volleyball clinic or something and he like we stood in the line and he picked somebody from the crowd and it happened to be me to set him up ball and so i set him a perfect like 51 and he came in and bounced it and then later found out that i was paul Menson, who had kind of introduced conrad to nine by nine beach a kid like way back when so pretty pretty funny how that came full circle real story time so so I'm at Nationals in Saskatchewan where it's freezing cold and uh, first of all on the way there we for some reason we flew past to like Edmonton or Calgary and then took like a 10 hour bus ride it was bizarre we were like all sweating and we all had our shirts off because it was so hot in this bus it was bizarre anyway we played Nationals it's after the final we're all at this bar called The Scuzz great name and we we're partying it up. You're with all the best, uh, like volleyball athletes, uh, volleyball players in the country. And like, that was 17. I was like talking to Brett Walsh. Was, I was like, oh, that was awesome. And our coach comes over and pies us all rum and coke, and it was crazy. And we go back to the to the hotel room, and. I'm this young whippersnapper hanging out with like Danny Demineko and Marco Dakic, um, Nick Sandish, and just like all the kind of fit year boys. And uh, we're hanging out in the hotel room and we were trying to get into the coach's room because Chumley and Wally and Ben Josephson and the Trinity coaches and the Waterloo head coach and they were all sitting in there having a good time. And so we wanted to, to get into this hotel room just because we were intoxicated and we wanted to bug them. And so <laughs> we would like knock on the door and like try and budge in. Probably would shove us out. And then Danny goes down to the front desk and is like, hey, uh, my name is Mike Chumley. Uh, I, I lost my room key. Could I have another one? <laughs> Give him a room key. <laughs> Demi Nanko comes back up. We go into their hotel room and it's like all of these really high level coaches and we're just like it was it wasn't as uh, it was a little anticlimactic but it was pretty funny <laughs> just, just like breaking into these, 
this coach's room is hilarious. Bold, Danny. Uh, bold. I'm glad that paid off. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, definitely worth it. I just, yeah, hanging around all these older guys is pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, I think <laughs> that was that was that was a uh, was a good time. That's the best part about doing this show is that we get to ask the serious questions and cover the news stuff, and then we get to hear all the silly, stupid stuff that volleyball players do on the road. Yep, volleyball players definitely know how to throw it down for sure. Yeah, definitely. But I think I think it's I think it's ingrained in us just how the sport came up, like beach players in California drinking beers and having a good time, and eventually becoming professional and continuing to drink beers. <laughs> And be inclusive and all that good stuff, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyways, buddy, we're going on an hour here, so we'll we'll let you go. You'll have to be a returning guest once you've played a, a season or maybe half a season or, you know, maybe just a game, and you'll Skype us in from uh, wherever you are in the world. But, yeah, looking forward to you being a returning. <laughs> We'd like a weekly update, actually, on what you're doing and how everything's going and how the food's treating you over there, so. All the hummus. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the listeners would be totally thrilled hearing my voice that many times. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for making the time and coming on. I'm glad we could get you before you had to leave. And uh, like I said, we'll definitely check in and we'll be rooting for you. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Josh, and post post team at Dallas. Uh, sorry that you couldn't be here the whole podcast, but yeah, thanks for having me on, boys. Nice. So uh, yeah, have a good night, and uh, I'll talk to you later. Special thanks to Logan Men for coming on the show. Best of luck as he travels to Israel to start his professional career. If you'd like to hear more about the Vancouver beach scene, download our previous episodes with Seymour and Jody Z or the Maverick Hatch episode. If you want to hear more about the OUA or U Sports, go back into the archives and check out episodes with Jesse Elser, Joel Hannon, or Roland Bouchard. Summer isn't over yet and we have lots more beach content coming. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Please leave a comment and a five-star review. We enjoy hearing from you. And be sure to stay tuned for new episodes every Friday. Stay excellent, friends.